and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Educasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us so much. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it, go take 30 seconds, give us a rating, help new listeners find us. To encourage you to do just that, I've started giving shout-outs to listeners who give us a five-star rating on the air. I will read one new review verbatim each episode. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. All right, and for today's review, we turn to Canada. The Tome Show is Reeking of Awesomeness is a review from Pierre L. The Netherese Arcanist. Oh man, I cannot wait for this. All right, so Pierre L. The Netherese Arcanist says, The commute to work was a dull bore. That is, until the Tome Show came around. Ever since its inception, it has provided the very best in news, reviews, and interviews in the D&D and RPG world. It contains a solid mix of entertaining discussion and information. I now look forward to my commute so I can get my news updates that aren't available on AM or FM radio. With the best hosts and top-of-the-line guests from the industry, the Tome Show has it all. It's even fun to go back and listen to old episodes, of which there are plenty to choose from. Go ahead and give it a try. You will find that as far as podcasts of its genre go, it is second to none. Well, thank you very much, Pierre L. Your name on iTunes is second to none, Netherese Arcanist. Uh, We need some more reviews, so head on over to iTunes, help people find us, give us a five-star review. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They specialize in finding out-of-print products. Uh, My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is a player's guide to Poultice. It is from Monty Cook, uh, who is the guest this week on the roundtable. He's a legendary game designer. Uh, Helped create Planescape, helped create 3rd edition D&D, now has the Cypher system, which has Numenera and the Strange. Um, He is awesome. He's got some new products he's going to talk to us about. But Tolis, is 10 years old. Uh, It is a great campaign setting. The Player's Guide is out of print. Uh, So Noble Knight is one of the only places you can find it for a mere $2.50. So definitely check out Tolis, uh, The Player's Guide from Necromancer Games by Monty Cook, available at noblenight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers. Use a Noble Knight. To sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com. The brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. Okay, so today's guest is Monty Cook. Uh, He is a legendary game designer, as I said earlier. He's got a great announcement about what I think is a groundbreaking RPG called Invisible Sun. The Kickstarter for it is running right now, uh, so check that out. We're also going to talk about Gen Con and how things went. Uh, You know, I love talking with Monty. Uh, It is like getting a master class every time he is on this podcast. So So check him out. He's a a good dude. Uh, Really always lovely to interview. Always very gracious and fun. Uh, And I just enjoy, uh, like I said, getting my master class. So let's roll that interview with Monty Cook right now. Okay, everybody, now I am here with the one and only Monty Cook. Monty, welcome back to the roundtable. It's awesome to have you here today. It's, It's good to be back. Did you miss me? I did. I did. I did. People loved that interview that we did last time. So they said, we want more Monty. Uh, so uh, and, and you have delivered. You are now back 
here at the round table. Uh, we're going to talk about some great stuff, uh, but it's right after Gen Con, and I feel like the first thing I need to do is uh, extend congratulations to you. Uh, two gold Ennies, best production value for the Numenera box set, and uh, also for uh, best family game for No Thank You Evil. That is huge. So uh, congratulations to you and everybody there at uh, Monte Cook Games who put that together. Thank you so much. We are absolutely thrilled. Um, both of those projects were really big and important and, and uh, you know, very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, so we're, it's very nice to see them recognized. Yes, yeah, and I know a lot of people who uh, picked up a lot of your products and stuff at Gen Con. No Thank You Evil seemed like uh, anecdotally amongst my friends anyway. It was, a, it was a big deal. They really couldn't wait to get their hands on it so they could play it with their families and kids, nieces and nephews, you know, all that good stuff. So um, Yeah, we um, we... You know, obviously, it did really well at the show for us. But you know, what was as exciting or more was we were running pretty much constant demos. We had a special demo space set up with a you know a table that was really kind of low to the ground with pillows around it, and you know, set up for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that was going constantly. But what was really cool was most of the time the people running the demos were kids, right? We had like ten-year-old, twelve-year-olds. Um, running the demos and it really kind of showcased, I think, you know, the family nature of the game, which was, which was fun and exciting. And, you know, and it's just fun to see kids and their creativity and the, you know, the thrill of, and the excitement that they have for things. Um, it's, it's very, uh, it's very contagious, I think. Right. Yeah, it is. It's funny. I was, uh, I was walking the floor and, you know, the floor is crowded and people are getting in your way and you're like, oh man, this is, uh, you know, starting to get frustrated. And then just to see how excited all of the kids are running around and looking at all the products, particularly at your booth, uh, really made it like, oh yeah, this is, this is what this is all about. Like this is, we shouldn't, it's awesome that there are this many people here who want to play games. You know, this is a great thing. This isn't an an annoying thing. This is an awesome thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's great to see a lot of young people at Gen Con this year getting involved and, uh, you know, loving, to play games and it's also really fun to watch them like you said running games um it's fascinating to me that uh that that seems like that was one of your big design goals with no thank you evil was that kids could run it as well as you know be players absolutely absolutely uh you know with you know what we say is if you've got a you know a sort of uh creative 10 year old or or sometimes even younger right they they can they can run that game particularly if mom or dad is one of the players right you know just to kind of help move things along maybe but i started running dungeons and dragons uh when i was 11 years old so you know it's it, it, it a lot of people are running games at pretty young ages and and i think i think you know kids can handle it for sure yeah, I totally agree. I think you know it's uh, it's one of those things uh, that that kids can can really start running with it, um, especially because so much of it is based on your ability to tell a story without fear, kind of. You know, right. uh, all role playing games and and kids are better at doing that than adults. I feel like yeah. it's really funny. Uh, you know, running a game of No Thank You Evil for kids. Or really running any game for kids. This is kind of one of the things that inspired No Thank You Evil is, is I had run a lot of games for, you know, of like D&D and stuff for kids. And, you know, I think that the, if you're introducing someone who's brand new to role playing, an adult, right, the number one, the biggest hurdle, the, the thing they have the most difficulty with is just the concept, right? Just the idea of, oh, I'm supposed to pretend that I'm someone else, <laughs> right? Yeah, but kids yeah. do that every day, all day long, you know. Um, so they don't have that hurdle at all. So it's 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 so invigorating and exciting. I mean, they they sit down and they get role playing immediately. Yeah, that's kind of a genius observation. Uh, that I I do think that's what is hardest for adults when I am telling them 
what it is and and you know still i i still think my mother who you know has been around it for 20 years now is unsure of what <laughs> exactly happened in her basement all of those years ago and who were all these you know teenagers coming in and out and that kind of thing um so yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right about that uh, how about everything else at gen con how, how did everything else go for you um you know you were running a lot of games there was uh, a lot of panels gods of the fall came out from monte cook games how was all that going uh we are we're thrilled with gods of the fall new cypher system book that just came out um you know it's beautiful people seem to really like it you know i'm hearing about all these new campaigns starting up using gods of the fall we also had torment uh the explorer's guide which is the uh the tabletop version of the computer game kind of if you want to look at it that way oh okay um and uh, that just came out just in time for gen con it is a book we're very, very proud of and did really well for us at Gen Con. And, you know, and the, the Torment Tides of Doom and Era video game, I mean, <laughs> we were showing um, demos of it at the booth and it's just fabulous. And it's so exciting, right, to see something, you know, see the world that I created, see the world that I was, you know, just a few years ago was just kind of sitting around and wondering if anyone would you know, ever care about this I, weird idea I had. And now to see it sort of, you know, given life in that way is, is really remarkable. It's, it's, it's kind of awe-inspiring. It's really cool. And it is, it's really cool, I feel like, when, when a property extends beyond the table and becomes something else. You know, um, I know also, wasn't there a, a, a Numenera movie at a, at a Gen Con past as well, like a 12-minute we- short film? Yes, last Gen Con we debuted Numenera Strand, um, which should be. Uh, it's right now um, the makers are are you know putting it out on like short film festivals and whatnot, but it will eventually. I mean, it's available to people who back their Kickstarter now, but it will be available widely sometime later this year, I think. Uh, and it's great. It's such a fantastic visual representation of of Numenera and the technology and and everything that is involved in that game. I I love it. And I I would be wrong to also not mention that there's a a board slash card game called The Ninth World um, that is... That is coming out uh, later this fall. We're we're very excited about that as well. So we are, you know, we're seeing Numenera kind of taken in a lot of different directions. It's it's a really good time to be a Numenera fan, I guess. Yeah, it really sounds like it is, which is uh, it's so cool that uh, that there's all of this stuff coming out for Numenera. You know, normally we only see. Dungeons and Dragons get that style of treatment, right? We we see the Dungeons and Dragons video game, we see a Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, many of which are not that great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's cool to see like another property that somebody really cares about um, making different kinds of media that are also turning out to be really good uh you know so i I heard a lot of people have good things to say about the video game and and tons of people have great things to say about the the film and everything so um you know it's exciting to know that the person who created this world is also behind those properties and believes in them um so uh, and and what is it that's so cool about the uh the torment video game um you know it is there's so many cool things um you know for for example one of the things is when when i initially uh did the agreement with uh in exile the company that's making the game the agreement was originally just that they would use the setting um but they've actually in a lot of ways taken even the gameplay elements of numenera and the and the rules and have uh you know, expressed them. I mean, they, they had to make changes, right? It's a different sort of game. But, you know, the way that it is expressed in the video game, it, it, it feels like you're playing Numenera, right? We, you know, at your, at your computer console. Uh, or, at, I mean, at your computer or your console is what I mean to say. <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's going to come out in, in both formats. That's cool. And, I mean, that's always... I feel like that's always the goal of... 
of of many games, you know, it would be at Shadowrun or D&D or whatever, and so <laughs> many times we fall short. Uh, so it's uh, kudos to uh, everybody who put that together and the studio that put that together uh, for for nailing that feel. Um, I cannot wait to get my hands on it and, and try it out. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> you you um, mentioned, you know, that's the goal. I remember I played, this was a long time ago. This has got to be, I don't know, 10 years ago now. Um, I played a video game that was just based on the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, this is like playing D and D with a terrible DM. And I meant that actually as a, <laughs> I did because, you know, before that, you know, no video game had actually made me feel like I was playing, you know, I was, I was playing, you know, they were, there were good D and D games and, but, but I hadn't felt like I was playing D and D and that game was the first game that made me think like, this is like playing D and D, and and I mean it was a great game. I'm, but you know, it was for me the tabletop experience is always going to sort of be the mountaintop, right? And I don't know that a computer game until we have like some really sophisticated artificial intelligence in the world, <laughs> I don't know that we're ever going to really capture that feeling. So if you can even kind of capture that feeling, I think you're doing a great job. Yeah, I totally agree. And I do think that's sort of, you know, that is the the brass ring that we reach towards whenever anybody makes really any kind of computer RPG. You know, it's all inspired by tabletop experiences, it feels like. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's really great. And I feel like that's really cool that, you know, the, that, uh, that you are supportive of a game with the Numenera name on it um, that you feel good after the fact and everything makes me feel good as a player. Like, yeah, I want to I want to get out there and get my hands on it. It's Monty Cook approved, you know? <laughs> it definitely is, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds like you, you had a really, really great Gen Con, um, but we should talk about a, an announcement that sort of happened during Gen Con uh, that uh, uh, by the time this podcast drops, people will already be able to go check out uh, your Kickstarter for Invisible Sun. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Invisible Sun. What is it? So uh, Invisible Sun is a tabletop role-playing game, and it is a game of what I call surrealistic fantasy. It doesn't have any of the sort of standard sword and sorcery tropes. It is not a sword and sorcery game, but it is a fantasy game in that um, it embraces the idea of magic, and magic is pervasive throughout the setting. Um, and the setting is it, is, it is the world sort of beyond our own. The idea is we, the world that we see, you know, you and I and everyone we know that we see is actually a false reality. It's a very sort of Philip K. Dick uh, or, or, you know, if you'd rather, uh, uh, sort of like the matrix, right? It, it, this isn't real. Um, and the actual reality is called the actuality. And so player characters are people who've discovered that this is not real. And, uh, in fact, realize that they have forgotten, um, that they came here from the actuality. And so they, the player characters go back to the actuality, which is this real world that is surreal and filled with magic and wonder and strangeness. And, uh, and they go and sort of rebuild and resume their lives back in the actuality. And Invisible Sun is a, is a game that is sort of built around uh, secrets and mysteries, and so uh, that is that is a lot of what the player characters are going to be doing. They're going to be, you know, sol finding clues to secrets and tracking down the solutions to mysteries and learning more about the truth behind reality. And because of that, the game itself is sort of based in 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 large part on secrets. There will be secrets sort of hidden within the game itself. Right, so that players or GMs, whatever, uh, you know, just just sitting down and and looking at one of the books that comes in the box, or looking through the box itself, or you know, going to our website, they will find secrets. They will uncover things that are hidden. 
because um, it really helps give the the feeling and the, and the flavor for the game and, and creates a new way to interact with the game. The other thing that is kind of a big deal to me um, about Invisible Sun is that Invisible Sun, in its design, I have sort of looked at a lot of the issues that face role players today. And by that, I mean like, you know, the difficulty of, of finding time to play, the difficulty of getting everyone all together at the same time with busy schedules and families and school and work. And I've tried to come up with ways to play the game that kind of overcome some of those challenges. So there is a mode of play for the game that is sort of in addition to the regular play of the game, right, where you're sitting around the table with your friends and whatnot. You can take the game away from the table and uh, you can set up what these are called side scenes where maybe one or two players get together with the GM and play out something that happens kind of to the side of the main narrative or even in the past as a flashback. And these things all figure into the uh, the the story development of the characters. Characters are, are the whole thing is very story based. Every character uh, has a story arc. In fact, we kind of use the idea of a story arc or multiple story arcs to measure character advancement rather than something like levels or tiers or something. And so these side scenes help build in new story points for these arcs. Uh, as well as sort of the main play of the game. It, it is as close uh, a role-playing game experience I think you can have to like watching a TV show or reading a series of novels or something like that where there's you know all kinds of ongoing things and the characters get really well developed. Uh, so that's very exciting to me. <laughs> all you asked was what it was, and I kind of went <laughs> off for 15 minutes. Well, but, <laughs> but this is I'm everything I, I, I wanted to talk about, because I, last time you were on here, and we sort of talked about, like, oh, what's what's upcoming? What's going on in your brain? What are you thinking about doing next? You said you were thinking about how role-playing games, their biggest competition isn't other role-playing games. It's the rest of the world, right? It's right. the fact right. that you're Real too— life. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a. It's YouTube, and it's picking up your kids from work, and it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was so great, and t to know that this was coming actually so soon after we spoke. Like, I think that's a great idea because part of the thing that scares a lot of people I know away from trying out role playing games is like, oh well, those, those books are so big. And I don't have the time to read them, and I don't have the time to get together with somebody for, you know, eight hours every week and, and play a game. And, you know, I've, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And so this sort of helps take care of some of those issues, maybe, that, that people are feeling. Or even people who used to game who feel like they don't have the time to do so anymore. Is that right? That is right. Um, that, is, that is the goal. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of why, uh, we, so like, for example, we released the video that's going to go along with the Kickstarter already. And, and obviously, uh, by the time people are listening to this, they'll be able to just go to the Kickstarter and see the video and the video has, and really the game itself has this idea of escape, right? We, we, we escape the, the, the real world is just shadow, and and you know there is a larger world of imagination and and crazy wonder that exists and and for me that is an expression of role playing games right of of you know let's escape all this stuff right politics and work and all that right all that stuff let's escape that for a while and go into this amazing world in our heads well so that's that's what Invisible Sun is all about, right? It's it's about escaping the real world and going into this world of Im imagination. And through the mechanics that we're talking about, we're we're, we're trying to make that easier, right? So uh, you know, even if even if you guys can't, you know, and by you guys I mean your your group, right? Your play group can't get together. Oh, you know, for three weeks, right? At various times during those three weeks. 
people can kind of get together in smaller groups and they can do various things and they can interact with the GM or they can get together just themselves and talk through something and communicate with the GM uh, virtually. Um, there's going to be an app that will kind of facilitate a lot of this sort of uh, interaction so that the GM doesn't need to, be, need to be present. I mean, literally, if the thing that is keeping you from playing that week is that everyone can get together but the GM, you can actually still play um, because you know, you'll know you kind of figure out what your actions and, and whatnot are in the side scene, and then you'll communicate those to the GM through the app, and the GM will be able to respond um, and and actually even kind of feed you uh, information and there's a deck of cards called the Sooth deck, which is very, very important to the gameplay. I mean, the game uses dice and everything like a, like a conventional game, but there's also this almost tarot-like deck. And in this mode of play, you don't use dice. You just use the cards, and the cards become kind of uh, you know, the randomizing element. And so through the app, you can feed players cards and go kind of back and forth um, and, and, and play the game, right? Uh, so much of this, I mean, I, I told the story at Gen Con, but I'll, I'll be quick about it here. Um, you know, so much of this comes from this, when I was a kid, uh, in like junior high, I play, was playing D and D with my friends. We'd play every Friday night or whatever. And we would walk home from school every day and, Often, very, very often, we would start talking about the game and people would start saying things like, well, you know, the next time we play, I'm going to go talk to, to, you know, the queen and, and find out what's going on about this thing. And, and I would, and then, so I would say, well, what are you going to say to the queen, right? And he would then begin to describe what he would say. And I would say, well, if you say that, then she's probably going to say this and then do that, right? And the thing was, there we were walking down the sidewalk, not at a game table. We didn't have dice or whatever, but we were playing the game, totally. right? And and that's the that's the thing I want to capture in Invisible Sun. That idea that because this game, and and by this game I mean role playing games, right? Because role playing games they live in our heads, right? We can there there is a opportunity for richness that exists away from the table and the dice and the miniatures and, you know, all the stuff that we normally kind of associate with role-playing games. Um, I'm, don't get me wrong. I love all that stuff. And that is still the core of the game. But there's this is, this is on top of that, right? This is the icing on the cake. Well, and I think when you do all of those things, when you have conversations between game sessions that are actually gameplay, it also speeds up your when you're all together around the table play, right? In the Absolutely. sense that like, oh, okay, I already know what you want to do. And I, as a GM, am now prepped better for where you're going to go and what you're going to do. I've looked up most of the things that I need to look up and I'm ready to roll. You know, that's, I always try to encourage my players between sessions like, oh, you know, if you guys have a big choice, if, if you have one way you're leaning, maybe let me know because then I can be more prepared when you, when you go in that direction. You know, I don't want to have to prepare 17 different options. I agree completely. I, I, I try to do similar things, right? I, I, in the past, I've, I've, I've encouraged people to kind of quote unquote play away from the table, right? And have like, like if they if the group needs to decide what to do next, you know, I would tell people, why don't you, you know, talk about that via email or something like that and actually come to a, a decision and then let me know, right? For exactly what you're talking about. Um, the other cool thing is, you know, just on a very practical level, Think about all the games where, you know, Bob uh, wants his character to go off and do a thing that doesn't involve anyone else at the table. And how often, you know, everyone kind of just has to wait for the game master and Bob to play through that scene, right? Now, all of those scenes are taken away from the table, potentially. And it really is maximizing sort of the value and benefit of when you can actually get everyone together and sit down at the table, right? If everyone's going to be involved, it's going to be as, as good as it could possibly be. 
It really does, you know, and you're right. It takes away from that, okay, so I'm going to go over with Bob for 15 minutes, and now you guys are sitting at the table not playing, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. By maximizing the, the time the Game Master spends kind of outside of the game, taking care of individual stories, then when you get together for the group story, everything's streamlined. That's very, very true. It's uh, true, and, and because that's kind of... It, it, in games that I've played in the past, because that is kind of true, I, I think that sometimes people won't sort of go down that path of the individual story because it takes away from the group experience, which is totally legit. But but how great is it to be able to have the freedom to focus on those, you know, the story that's just my own right that that is just my characters and it doesn't involve everyone else i can focus on that and still be an active part of the group and it's also it, you're doing that in a game full of secrets seems like the ideal game to really be able to do that in you know it, it, you've sort of combined so. those ideas obviously you you probably saw that and we're like oh i can really maximize the experience by turning up the amount of secrets in this game um, right but right, uh, exactly. yeah, talk, how do those work hand in hand? Because they seem like they would fit perfectly together. Well, you know, um, it, it, it is. I'll just give you an example. Um, so, player characters in Invisible Sun are called Vizlai. Um, they're named after this patron being called Vizla, who is uh, she's the warden of of something called the Invisible Sun. The Invisible Sun is the source of magic. And so Vizlai, uh, one of the things that's true pretty much about all Vizlai is that they all have a house. And that house becomes a big, big part of your character, right? In the same way that you're going to you know, think about your character's stats and equipment and, and all that kind of stuff that you normally do in a game, you're also going to think about their house. And here's why. It's because Vizlai houses always begin to express themselves with weirdness and secrets and surreality so like uh, in the one game that we played um one character discovered that uh he found well, he basically he found a secret door in his house that he didn't doesn't know where it leads and so that created a whole story arc for him um, because the door was locked and he could not get it open. And so, you know, it's just simple and straightforward, you know, locked door, how do I open this door? But that started this whole story arc. Um, and, it, and it came from not something that the group was doing, but something that just he was doing. Now, the group became involved with the hunt for, um, you know, the person who could help him get, get in that door. But the point is, uh, you know, it was it was a secret. It was it was personal. It was just for him, and it was something. You know, like if I was playing in another game, I'd be hesitant to do something like that unless I was positive that it was something that would involve the whole group, right? Because I think it sort of behooves the GM to not just focus always on one character, but now you can focus. You can give that kind of intense focus on all the characters individually and you know if that if that stays sort of with just that character it's okay right it may have never even gotten to the point where the rest of the party would have gotten involved right it My may daughter. never even have left the gm's head you know right right <laughs> yeah that's that's incredible and it's also it gives you a chance i feel like one of the things that makes stories great even if you have a big world shaking event right or you're, you're trying to save the world or destroy it or whatever um if you can have these intimate stories and these intimate moments like that that idea of there's a door that i cannot open and i desperately want to open it to find out what's inside is scary and fun and adventurous you know like there's there's all kinds of emotions and it makes me think of all kinds of horror and adventure and right all different genres of stuff. So it is, it's nice to be able to take those detours now, you know, you, you, by maximizing your time, you can really tell these intimate stories within a much bigger story rather than just trying to tell one big story. Right. And it, it and you know, 
you can do this in any configuration, right? It might be a story that mostly focuses on two of your four players, right? Or, or whatever, however, however that you want that to work. And the nice thing is, too, moving into this mode where you're, you're doing what, what I'm calling side scenes, this is something that the GM can initiate. He can say, you know, hey, Bob... We keep using Bob. Uh, Bob, can you get together on on Thursday? We'll meet at the coffee shop and we'll talk this through. But it's also something that the players can initiate, right? And the thing I love about that is I love it when players are proactive. And the best way to get a player to be proactive, I think, is to is to have a story that is a personal one. Has it involves them specifically, right? It's not just saving the town or the world or whatever. It's this affects me. Um, and, and so I am going to take steps to deal with it. Uh, that, that's really intriguing to me. And that is a great motivator. And I, and, uh, you know, I really like the gameplay that this encourages. Yeah, I really, I really can't wait to get my hands on it. So does this use the cipher system? It does not. Okay. Um, it is it is a brand new game. I will say though, um, to fans of the Cipher System, somebody at Gen Con um, at this not a not us, but but a, a fan said uh, that it sounds like it's Cipher System adjacent, um, and I guess <laughs> that's as good a term as any. It has a lot of the same sensibilities, making things easier for the GM. Uh, the GM doesn't roll dice. Uh, you know, it's very much focused on characters and story. Uh, you you build your character by building a sentence, right? Just like in, you know, Numenera, where you're a blank, blank who blanks. It's a different sentence. Um, it's actually a more complicated one. There there are more blanks, um, but uh, it, it's got some of those same sensibilities. However, it's got some pretty stark differences too. And and you know, a lot of the stuff that we've just been talking about is, you know, some of the big ones, right? We had to build a game that is based around kind of these big concepts of, of how do we change the way we play the game. Um, but also I wanted to create a system that was very intertwined with the setting. Um, and, and that meant creating some brand new mechanics. Like I said, Invisible Sun is a game where magic is, is very, very prevalent and pervades everything. And so the mechanics reflect that. It's a it's a game system where, for, just to use an example, you're uh, most of the time you're rolling a die, you know, to see if you succeed at a task. But if you use magic, um, it adds additional different dice. Mm. And if you're going up against magic, it changes the the number of potential successes that you might need to succeed at it. Uh, so, it, without going into too much detail, uh, it it. It creates a situation basically where you need magic to deal with magic. Um, and I like the way that feels. It all fits in very mechanically. It, it kind of flows. Um, there's also uh, a danger element in using magic. Um, you know, Rolling a failure with your magic die as opposed to your regular mundane die has very different consequences. And you know, one of the goals of this game is to really make magic wondrous and and kind of unpredictable and dangerous and really give the game a sense of wonder and so uh, a lot of the mechanics lead toward that um and you know i mentioned the sooth deck before uh where you're playing these cards sort of in addition to you know rolling dice and everything like you normally would and the cards kind of sometimes on a round-by-round round basis, sometimes not that often, will actually change the way magic works so that you're, you know, everything is always very, very fluid. Um, I, I like to think that the characters, they see the world, you know, being people who are, are skilled in magic and know magic and know the way the world works, they're seeing the world work differently than than we, you know, they're perceiving reality in different ways than we would. They're, you know, if if I turn over one of the sooth deck cards, and, and let's just say it's the incriminating skull card, right, and that has some negative effect on certain kinds of spells, turning over that card represents that the 
the characters in the game world are actually perceiving things changing. Again, maybe I'll use the matrix analogy, right? It's like, you know, when Neo is watching the little numbers fall and, and can, you know, determine things from w viewing that code. It's kind of like that. It's, it's like the Vizlai are, are kind of seeing the magical code that it underlines all of reality. Wow. That's awesome. And it is, I mean, really exciting to get a new system uh, from Monty Cook. You know, I, I don't think anybody's going to complain about that. <laughs> uh, and I, I love that, um, you know, your approach to this was kind of, this is the way I, I want to sort of tackle some of these challenges. And I have this really cool story. And we're going to keep some of the, the things that fit with those design goals, right? Like, obviously, having the GM not roll dice goes along with speeding up play and, and build upon what we learned with the Cypher system, which is a great system for playing Numenera and, uh, you know, the Strange and Gods of the Fall. Um, so I think it's it's awesome that we're, we've got something uh, new from you as far as a, a game system goes to check out. Uh, I well, really can't, can't wait, and I have never been disappointed by a system you've designed. Uh, so oh, that, that's an awesome thing to say. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for putting in the work and making them. How long have you been working on Invisible Sun? Uh, a long time. Um, <laughs> uh, probably in, a, in sort of a, a very focused way, I'd say about two years. Oh, nice. um, <clears throat> and uh, I, was, I was reminded of that because... Uh, I have an Invisible Sun Pinterest page, and <laughs> someone um, found that page, and they noticed that the first pins were were more than two years two years old. And I realized, oh wow, I started that a long time ago. I hadn't really been thinking about it that way, but yeah, it, it's been a long time. And to be sure, there's still a lot of playtesting and a lot of design work to be done. Uh, this isn't the game that's going to come out until later next year. Well, let's. Why don't we we talk about the Kickstarter so people can? I'm sure they can get a direct link at montecookgames.com. They can head over to thetomeshow.com. We will have a direct link to the Kickstarter there as well. Or you can head over to Kickstarter and search for Invisible Sun. I'm sure it'll pop up that way. Um, yep. You should definitely check it out and and follow along with us uh, as we continue to talk about the the amazing Kickstarter here. Uh, so I I already can tell you, Monty, you've got my money. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, you guys are, uh, are known for running pretty amazing Kickstarters. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the, um, you know, sort of various rewards and things people can, can do, uh, with Invisible Sun. So, uh, you know, what are some of the things people can look forward to? Obviously the game, right, is probably the biggest thing. Um, right. people can buy into the game, which is huge. Right. The game itself is not a game... And I mean, physically, it is not a game like we or really anyone has ever done before. It, it comes in this, what we call the big black cube, the, the black cube, <laughs> which is um, the box that opens up and uh, there's a a video of the box opening up. It, it, it The box was designed by our art director, Bear Whiter, and, and it's very cool and it holds all these components, the game comes with all the stuff um, that is sort of an integral part of the game, uh, particularly when you're playing it you know, as a group. It's uh, got something called the Path of Suns, which is uh, like a game board that you put out in the middle and you're playing those sooth cards on the Path of Suns um, because where you play the cards affects the, the gameplay. Um, there are spell cards and artifact cards. There are... Um, you know, we, we, what we call character tomes, because this is a character, this is a game that's so based on character development and character depth. You know, we don't have character sheets. They have multiple pages. They're almost like little booklets uh, for your character so that you can develop and change and, you know, record the things that happen to you. And, and uh, you know, like I said, it's all about character arcs in this game. There's a lot of different components in there, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the basic game. There aren't a lot of different backer levels. Um, there's a retailer level, of course, because uh, we love working with our retailers. So all of the backer levels that you see, just like on every Kickstarter over on the right-hand side of the page there, I've written them all as spells um, because in the world, 
of Invisible Sun, there is something called the Black Cube. And it is something that you summon um, from this place called the Dark. And it's always got something different and interesting and cool inside there. And so you summon it and you open it up and you see what's inside. Um, and, it, you know, it could be good. It could be bad. Um, in this case, it's always good. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, you know, so, the, so in the game or in the Kickstarter, you cast Call the Black Cube. And that is the, the basic uh, backer level. There is... Basically, one um, main backer level above that that isn't one of them that has uh, a limited number of backers. And the big thing about that one is it has something attached to it called the directed campaign. And this is kind of taking all of everything that we've been talking about and moving it to the next level because the, with the directed campaign, we are going to set up a system where Basically, you tell us that your campaign has started. And when you, that happens, you then get access to this website, the directed campaign website, where um, you know there are there are ways there that you can interact with uh, other players. you can you can submit questions to us or whatever. But most importantly, you will get um, downloads every month that will have, um, Interesting uh, ideas for your campaign, um, you know, adventures, art, handouts, maps, all this stuff that you can use to kind of help guide you along. It's like we're not running your game for you, but it's if you can imagine, we're the we're the guy that you know that you talk to in between sessions <laughs> that gives advice and good ideas and 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 suggestions and whatever, right? So it's like we're kind of like in the co-GM seat in a way throughout the directed campaign. And, you know, it, it will be based on your campaign. So like if you start in February, maybe in March or April, we'll say, well, did your characters do A or B? And then you'll tell us. And then the next month, you know, in, in May, you'll get something different than you would have if you had said the the other choice, right? Wow. So it, it it follows you along based on the 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 choices that your characters make, and then a couple of times throughout the year, we will enhance that with we'll send you f some physical packages that will have cool props and and physical objects that you can use in your game, and on top of that, sort of what I think is. Uh, it's the really exciting part is um, if your players are willing, you can give us their physical addresses and we will send them stuff throughout the, the campaign, right? So like, you know, imagine, you know, that you're playing in your friend's Invisible Sun campaign and then suddenly, uh, you know, you get a letter in the mail that's addressed to your character <laughs> and you, know, you open that up and it's an invitation to join some secret society or whatever, um, you know, and so you show up in the next game session and say, uh, you know, look what I just got. Right. I mean, it, uh, it, I, I love the Im immersive potential of that. Um, I think it's, it's very exciting. Um, so that's the directed campaign. Um, I, I think it'll really be really fun. And then, uh, there's, there's kind of some upper level backer levels that, uh, are limited in nature. They're, you know they're on the expensive side, mm -hmm. uh, but they have some really you know special, unique things where you can you know get your game, uh, you know your box specially embossed with cool symbols and and you know unique things and get some unique secrets and whatnot. Um, oh, you know I should mention the secrets too. Um, this is something that we're kind of doing that's a little different. I've never seen a Kickstarter do anything like this. So everybody is going to get. A secret. So in Invisible Sun, we have this idea called the Path of Suns. There are nine suns, and you follow the path. And so the Kickstarter will follow the Path of Suns. And so on certain days, we will say, you know, it is, it is no longer the green sun, it is now the blue sun. And based on when you back, uh, based on the sun that is active, when you, when you back the Kickstarter, you'll get a different secret. So people who back huh. during the blue sun will get a different secret than the people who back during the green secret. 
or the green sun. And I think that'll be really fun. It means that there's, there's nine different secrets. Um, I think it means the, the kind of the way it's set up is that, you know, certain secrets will be sort of more common than other secrets. And, you know, I, I know the way the internet works, right? It'll be a week before all of the secrets are kind of just sort of out there and compiled, but that's okay. Right. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just part of the fun, right? It, it's, it's, it's part of the immersive nature that we're trying to create where, you know, there's, there's, you know, things that you know that not everyone else knows. That is huge. There's so many things I, I want to talk about, but let's start with <laughs> the, the directed campaign. Uh, that right. sounds like a ton of work. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's going into it, but also one of the coolest things I think I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> like I absolutely, who does not want that? It sounds like, you know, it, it's, it's what everybody wants organized play to be, kind of. You know? Kind of, um. yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, we, the way that I am looking at it, you know, budgeting time and resources and everything, it's, it, it is itself a whole additional book that mm -hmm. is a part of the Kickstarter, right? But it's way more than that. Yeah. But, but, but in terms of my time and resources, and you know, like you said, it's going to be a lot of work. It is going to be a lot of work. But, you know, I'm equating it to, you know, one of our big hardcover books. I'm guessing it's probably going to be about that amount of work. Um, and, and so I'm just budgeting that as part of my time, right? I'm, because we try very hard to be really good stewards of our Kickstarter campaigns. This will be, I think, number seven of our Kickstarters. And, you know, I think we have completely fulfilled all of our obligations for the first four and we're in the process and, and have been on time for the most recent two, you know, they're still ongoing, right? There's a new Monero one, the Cypher system one, and, and they're, you know, continuing to feed players new cool stuff and books. The way to make that happen is to very realistically measure, okay, how much time is this actually going to take? Because that's, that's the trap that people fall into and they totally underestimate how much work something is going to be. And so then, you know, when they deliver on the Kickstarter, they're really late or, you know, whatever, right? So I'm trying to be really realistic about that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like it's, it's you know, obviously it's encouraging that you're, you're thinking about the challenges already. But like, you know, the fact that uh, my players could get stuff uh, from you uh, as, as this goes on and the fact that my path... You know, I, that I'll be getting stuff from you is enough of a sort of mind explosion. But then the fact that it's like, oh, yeah, I'll give you this information and then I'll get something different from the, you know, the person a few blocks down the street because their Invisible Sun game is going in a different direction than mine. You know, that right. is that's awesome. And it's so cool that, that that's happening. And it's cool that uh, it sounds like you are very involved in making a lot of that content. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's me. <laughs> it's 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 literally me. I mean, I, you know, if you want to look at it that way, right? It's it's uh, if you if you back at the level where you get the directed campaign, it'll be like you know, you and me, we're running your campaign, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's usually a Kickstarter reward that costs uh, thousands and thousands of dollars, and uh, you know, results in a one-hour meeting at Gen Con or something. Um, so to be able to get that. Uh, uh, at a much lower price, um, you know, to, to run and a, for a much longer time is super cool. That's amazing. And then let's talk about the uh, the secrets, kind of, that, that people will get different secrets. I think is a great way to set the mood uh, for your campaign, to get people excited about it. And then also, I can imagine people are already thinking like, okay... You guys back it on on this day when it, when we get this secret and all when this sun appears then I'll back it you know that kind of thing which is awesome it it's a it's a huge fun event you know um it's more than just a, a Kickstarter in that respect then uh, yeah I mean we just we wanted I mean you know to be super clear right no one secret is sort of better than another but they are all different so um, you know it's not a matter there there's no gaming the system. But there is, you know, it's a matter of, of personal choice. You know, um, as the Kickstarter goes on, uh, we'll be revealing information about, like, you know, each sun 
uh, has, has a number of concepts that it sort of represents. The Path of Suns itself is it's, it's a map of reality. It's a map of the actuality that I mentioned earlier. But it's also an internal map. Um, there, is, there is a concept in the world of Invisible Sun that is that the external is re- reflected by the internal and the internal is reflected by the external. And uh, so, you know, you might say, well, you know, the blue sun is, is all about, you know, peace and harmony and rest and dreams and, you know, all these various concepts that the blue sun represents. I identify with that. I'm going to back at the blue sun, you know, when the blue sun comes along, you know, but, oh, I'm, you know, maybe someone else will be like, well, you know, the red sun is all about, you know, destruction and violence. And, you know, that kind of sounds, you know, that sounds like more my fun that, you know, that's, that's really uh, invigorating and, and, you know, it's about change and radical kind of action and that's more me. So I'm going to back during the red sun. You can do it that way. And, and that, that's fun too. Or like you said, right, you can get your friends together and just make sure you all back at a different sun. Um, and so you get, you know, the most different, uh, a variety of secrets. That's true. Or get your friends together and figure out which sun corresponds to your different personalities and then back that way. You know what right. I mean? If, if you're going to game the system, at least have fun while you're doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this is really, really cool. I really cannot wait uh, to uh, to back the Kickstarter to get my black box uh, when it shows up, you know, and uh, and to start running a game with you. Uh, so cool. I, I think that's going to be super super fun for for everybody out there, especially people uh, like me who you sort of uh, you know the very first game I played was uh, Monty Cook was uh, in charge basically of of what we were doing playing Planescape and stuff like that. So cool, um, yeah, awesome, yeah, absolutely. So this is this is really cool and. I I bet there's a lot of people out there uh, who feel the same way. Um, so, uh, so like I said, definitely check it out. MontyCookGames.com. Go into Kickstarter and search for Invisible Sun. Or head over to TheTomeShow.com and find the show notes for this episode. And there will be a direct link there as well. Uh, Monty, uh, is there anything else we should, uh, we should discuss before you go? Um, you know, uh, uh, if, you, if, if any of this sounds interesting as far as Invisible Sun goes... Um, there's a couple of different places I would suggest that you, you check out. There's a website called pathofsons.com. It's got a bunch of, uh, uh, audio fiction that you can listen to and kind of start to get the feel for what the world is like. Obviously the, the Kickstarter, um, the, and the Kickstarter, just, just so everyone knows, uh, we're, we're going to be giving out lots and lots of information about the game as the Kickstarter goes on through the updates. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn about, you know, lots of stuff that I haven't even talked about yet today um, that that has to do with the game. And uh, we're very, very excited about this. It's been a long time coming. Um, You know, this in and of itself has been a big secret that we have had and been hanging on to. And it's great to have that out in the world and and, uh, see what people think. Yeah, I, I am. I'm really excited. It's funny when we talked last time, and you talked about, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to solve this sort of issue of not having enough time to game, and I thought, like, oh man, well that that'll be great. That's like a, a great shoot for the moon project, and I hope to hear about it, you know, in in two or three years from now. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, you know, here it is, uh, just a, a a month or so later, uh, and and we already have the info. So uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the round table for sharing it and for making this uh this awesome thing um because like i said can't wait can't wait so thank you so much it's it's been it's always great to talk to you and uh uh really enjoy it yeah it's great to talk to you too and uh i guess if people uh want to find you online follow you on twitter or anything like that uh, where should they go so i am uh, i'm monty j cook on twitter um, and then MontyCookGames.com. MontyCookGames has a, uh, a Facebook page. Uh, there's also a, a Facebook page for Numenera and the Strange. And uh, we're, uh, you, know, you can look on Twitter for hashtag InvisibleSunRPG. There's already a lot of people talking about it. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, for being here today, Monty. Thank you.
And before we go, it's time to do our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's pick is from Mark Humes, it is the Lightborn. Uh, Some heroes are made in the fires of conflict or circumstance. Some heroes are simply born to be so. Fear has little meaning to them. The people look to them without thinking. They are a beacon of light in the darkness. They are the Lightborn. Lightborn is a race infused with positive planar energy and with a talent for inspiration and courage. Most become legendary figures devoted to helping others in whatever they can, free from constraints of law or doctrine. A rare few, however, let their natural skill and the stories they inspire delude them into a dangerous arrogance, and they are willing to do anything to achieve their goals and maintain their reputation. Lightborn which is a new race for players, is a pay-what-you-want product on the DMs Guild. It is already a gold bestseller, and it has 21 ratings and four and a half stars. It doesn't get much better than that, kids. Check out The Lightborn from Mark Humes. There is a direct link to this product over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank Monty Cook for coming on the podcast. He is welcome back anytime. All right, people, you can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Check it out. Tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games, adventures, magic items, spells, all kinds of goodness. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like this show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.